What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Mets Legends cast. I'm, dry, I'm joined here, of course, with my buddy Michael Jennings. Mike J, how are you doing today, my man? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Excited to talk about some Mets bench mob uh, history and uh, some, other, some other fun topics for you. Um, can't wait to get started. Yeah, man. I mean, the Mets, they're... Um... I think they're surprising everyone right now. Uh, you know, I don't know if they're going to keep this up. Uh, the time of this recording, the Mets are 20 and 16. They're at the top of the NL East. Um, and they keep just pulling these victories out of thin air pretty much. I mean, I certainly didn't foresee them going into Atlanta and taking the first two of three, um, you know, with the possibility of sweeping tonight with David Peterson on the mound coming off of an absolutely terrific start uh, over the weekend in Tampa Bay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is really encouraging what the Mets are doing right now. And really the NL East has been a struggle for pretty much everyone at this point. Um, but for the Mets to be on top of that struggle pile <laughs> is really encouraging to me. And um, to me, it's, it's a little reminiscent of some of the things that, uh, that we're going to get to here in this episode, um, particularly the 2019 Mets and some aspects of the 2009 Mets, uh, as, as we had brought up before the show. So, I mean, it, it's, it's great to see this next man up kind of mentality and, you know, huge props to Kevin Pillar for just showing his face <laughs> the next mm -hmm. day after getting hit with you know 90 plus to to the bridge of his nose i mean he really got nailed reminded me of mike piazza getting hit and being knocked out um so yeah i don't know it's it's always tough seeing that stuff i mean I, you know it reminds me of you know david wright in 2009 mm -hmm. uh, i believe matt kane was on the mound for the giants and when he hit david wright you know, it's just, it's a scary thing, um, you know, and you don't see it thankfully that often, but it does happen a lot. I mean, you look at players like Giancarlo Stanton, who now wears like the extended flap on his helmet. You see a mm -hmm. lot of guys doing that. A lot of guys on the Mets doing that uh, as well. Um, but it's scary. I mean, that was a, that was a brutal scene to watch uh, in real time. You know, and yeah. thankfully it's kind of been erased from Twitter, even the Mets hot, like, I don't want to say highlights, but the Mets video section on, on yeah. MLB.com, they took that aspect out of him just gushing blood from his face. But Tev uh, Kevin Prolar, he's just tough as nails, man. I mean, the guy yeah. showed up in the clubhouse yesterday, which would be Tuesday after getting mm -hmm. hit Monday night, you know, bruised up, swollen, and says, am I in the lineup tonight or what? And, uh, <laughs> you know, being a, a player on the Mets, not always easy. Uh, if you struggle, you know, I mean, I, you look at someone like Joey Lucchese right now, who's kind of public enemy number one uh, in Mets <laughs> land. That I think, you, you know, unanimously he's kind of disliked. I, I don't think he's as bad as he's showing right now. But um, I agree. he's someone who just Mets fans really don't like. Uh, but you have these certain guys that just endear themselves to the fan base. Um, and I think Kevin Pillar, no matter what he does the rest of his Mets tenure, 
uh, is going to be a guy that uh, Mets fans really, really like um, mm-hmm. after what happened. And, uh, and, and, you know, Pilar is someone who, when the Mets signed him this off season, I was, I wasn't thrilled about the deal. Um, they had already signed Albert Almora. Kevin Pilar kind of just seemed a little bit derivative of that, perhaps yeah. a little bit more, um, a little bit more strength in his game. Um, but he's really, he's really done a terrific job. I mean, he's really, really uh, performed and stepped up to the plate when the Mets have needed him to. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, Pilar, I hope he gets better soon. And, and I hope that he doesn't miss too much time with this. Yeah, I mean, he seems like the kind of person who who just wants to get out there and play every day. And even if he is on the bench and he's mentioned this, I mean, this is part of the whole like bench mob mentality that this year's Mets have sort of built um, around guys like Kevin Pillar, Jonathan VR, uh, Luis Guillorme and Thomas, Tomas Nito kind of being the, the, the core group of that. Um, they're getting regular playing time with all these injuries to the starters and they're, they're guys that understand their role that are going to play 110% every time they go out there. And, you know, it's, it's not any kind of front. It's just a pure, you know, love and passion for the game. And that's very evident by the way that, that all of these guys play. I mean, just, you know, I think Jonathan VR has really endeared himself in a similar way to Mets fans, you know, just from his hustle play on the base paths, uh, you know, I would say some great defensive plays. He's had some defensive blunders, but I would say the great defensive plays that he's had has really endeared himself to me at least. Um, and, and he has a knack for a big hit in a big spot too, it seems. And so does Kevin mm-hmm. Pilar. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's really fun to see those guys step up. And I mean, how about Tom Tomas Nito, who, who is, I would say arguably playing better than the the big free agent signing that they had at the position with James McCann. I mean, mm-hmm. he's definitely hitting better. And I would even say, you know, it, it's, it's tough as a fan to like watch a game and say like, Oh, Tomas Nito is catching a great game tonight. Um, but I do think the pitchers love him. Um, that's all you ever hear about the guy. And I think, you know, his defense has been pretty darn good. Yeah. You know, I think Nito is someone who ever since he was um, rising through the ranks of, of, of the minor leagues, he was someone who was always, uh, always put on display his defense and, when he first was coming up, he was more of a, a light hitter and, mm-hmm. um, but his defense was always really good. And then he started to uh, adapt at the plate, started hitting better. And it, you know, it was kind of only a matter of time before I think he started hitting better at the plate. Um, as he got older and as he started rising through the different levels, once he would adapt to the level, he would start hitting. And, um, yeah, he's someone who doesn't ever seem frazzled. He kind of just goes out there. He does his job. He does it well. Um, and, yeah, he had another clutch home run last night. Uh, you look at his numbers, he, he's a good framer. He's someone who, who does perform well behind the plate. You know, and James McCann, you look at that deal, and, yeah, you have him for four years. You sign him for $40 million, So mm-hmm. you're giving him $10 million annually pretty much. It's not – an awful value. I mean, of course, if he plays like this, his entire Mets tenure, 
it's a terrible deal. But I don't, I don't think, think he will. Case, yeah, I don't think that's yeah. the case. Um, you know, we're a month into the season, a little bit over a month into the season. Um, and I think really the guy is just pressing. I, I think that he, this is the first time in his career where he has a guaranteed starting job. Mm-hmm. Um, he's learning a new pitching staff. Uh, he's playing in a new division with a new team in New York. Um, and then I, feel, I think that he feels a lot of pressure on him. And I think that him not performing has only made it more exacerbated. Um, it's exacerbated the issue more, but you have Tomas Nito performing well. If you, if you just give Nick McCann a little bit of time off here and there and let Nito yeah. play, I think it's just going to be beneficial to everybody. Um, and it's not a bad problem to have. You have two mm-hmm. good catchers and it's a good formula for success. I mean, even when he was in Chicago, James McCann, you know, they had Yasmani Grandal and him mm-hmm. and uh, it was great. I mean, it's what you want. You want to have multiple guys behind the dish that are good. And so hopefully McCann can pick it up. Uh, it's too early to write him off. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad that the Mets are, are, are stringing together some victories. Who knows if they're going to be able to keep this up long-term, but they're going out there, they're taking it day by day and they're not losing faith in, faith in themselves. They're, they're a tight knit group and uh, they're, they're, they're out there to prove people wrong. And you, you hear these guys in interviews we're going to prove people wrong. You know, where we are going to, we're doing something really special here. This is a special vibe. You hear from yeah. a lot of these different guys. So hopefully that's the case and hopefully they can continue performing well. And I think they can. I mean, it's, I, w- I would think, you know, obviously in my limited athletic career, it was always easier to take it day by day when you're winning. Um, but, you know, and I'm sure that's, that's even more so at, at the, at the major league baseball level, you, as long as you're at the top of the league, you know, you can, you kind of have that space to take it day by day and, and let those guys step up and figure it out. Um, And as, as long as they can stay on top of the division, I think, I think they'll continue to do that. Um, But of course, you know, losing streaks are slippery slopes and, you know, the Mets are going to have some this year. They got swept by the Rays and there were some concerning signs in that series, but it's, you know, it's always all about bouncing back. And I think, I think a lot of these guys are doing it pretty admirably. I mean, it it was interesting what you said about James McCann, uh, you know, kind of maybe gripping the bat a little tight, maybe gripping the ball a little tight uh, at times, putting that pressure on himself, kind of similarly to how a lot of people have been talking about Francisco Lindor that I feel like, you know, once, once these guys realize that, um, that, you know, they're still the same player that they've always been. And they, they kind of have that click moment. Um, you know, this team's going to be really, really fun to watch um, despite who's on the field and who's not. Um, and obviously really encouraging signs with, with Syndergaard, you know, pitching for St. Lucie this week. Um, you know, Carlos Carrasco is inching closer and closer. You know, it's, it, it's pretty, it's, pretty different this time around I would say as a Mets fan given the fact that you know there's so much positivity on the team um when I'm a little unsure what to do with myself as a fan because it's been so negative for so long and we've talked about it with the Wilpon era how how sort of like vindictive they were of guys who would get hurt and they would try to rush them either rush them back or just like 
send them down out into oblivion, never to be heard from again. Um, and seeing seeing like an entire organization get behind their injured players and you know proceed with caution rather than reckless abandon um it's it it bodes well not just for us as fans but also as the players they'll be able to perform at their highest level for longer i think yeah totally and you know we talked about it a lot with the will ponds and um how they how they have been um not transparent with injuries they've forced players to play through injuries um it's always it was always worse than they made it out to be at first um Mm -hmm. and you see these guys uh these beat writers uh on twitter like buster only who's like very yeah mad that the will puns don't own the team anymore seemingly (laughs) because You you looked at the way the Mets handled the DeGrom injury, which was Mm -hmm. 100% correct in the way that they handled it. Um, They placed him on the IL. Uh, They didn't want him to further aggravate um, his side, uh, whatever. He was feeling the tightness there, even though the MRI came back clean. He's the best pitcher in baseball. You don't want him to get hurt. You want him to rest. And Buster only is out here talking about how the Mets are lying about it and how they're being, um, you know, they're yeah. being false in the way they're reporting it. And it's just, it's crazy. Like, like this culture that the Wilpons perpetuated uh, and it was so dysfunctional and backwards. And like, they had all these, these, these reporters in on it with them. And like, mm-hmm. it was just so backwards. And now that they have a competent owner who is just as cool and collected as the team, um, you have people out there that hate it, that hate that the Mets are, are, are handling things. In that are not that, a dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah. Right. They, like, it's just like that old guard is gone. And, mm-hmm. and even still, it's like, you have these, these, these guys like John Heyman and whoever else like kicking the Mets with their down about trading Jared Kelnick and like, yeah, just like completely like, like beating a dead horse. And mind you, like, yeah, that deal may have sucked, but let's not forget that the Chicago White Sox once upon a time traded Fernando Tatis Jr. to the San Diego Padres right. for James Shields. And no that one talks deal, about that. <laughs> that deal is far worse. I'm going to be honest. Yeah, that deal is, is far worse than the Mets trading Jared Kelnick for Edwin Diaz and Cano. I mean, even disregard Cano, Edwin Diaz has been more productive for the Mets than James Shields ever was for the White Sox. So I'm not excusing yeah. the deal by any means. That deal should never have been made. But how come the White Sox aren't penalized the way that the Mets are for trading Kalnick when they traded Fernando Tatis Jr., who is arguably the face of baseball right now, um, for a pitcher who is completely uh, replaceable um, with the team? But regardless, this isn't the first time that we've seen uh, bench guys kind of step up and perform for the Mets. Um, You know, you look back a couple years ago, 2019 and it was kind of a similar situation Mm -hmm. yeah it was um it was also around this time of year as well when when things really started to to take off for uh for these bench players that the Mets brought in I I particularly want to highlight um kind of the the main three that stick out to me were Carlos Gomez Rajay Davis and Adani Hechevarria um kind of all at the same time 
these guys just sort of took over the team and they started winning games. Um, and, you know, I love the fact that all of this kind of coalesced around a four game series against the Washington nationals, because I always love beating the Washington nationals. I think, you know, for whatever reason, I think have a certain, like a higher level of disdain for the nationals than maybe I even should as a Mets fan. I just, I just really don't like them, but, um, (laughs) but all that aside, um, you know, on May 22nd was when Rajay Davis, uh, you know, in legendary Mets fashion arrived late to the game because of traffic. Um, he took an Uber to the stadium and then hit his one and only home run as a Met, I believe that night coming off the bench after having been late to the game off of Sean Doolittle, uh, to, to sort of, you know, vault the Mets into victory. I think they were already ahead. I think it was three to one at that point, but that really like sealed the game um, as, a, as a Mets win. And, uh, you know, you could hear it even on the call. I mean, I love talking about Gary Cohen's, you know, calls on, the, on whatever moments happen. Um, and, you know, he, he, he threw it back to talking about his home run off of Araldis Chapman in the World Series. Uh, just a few years prior and and I remember watching that game and thinking like Rajay Davis I mean he's I I feel like at that time Rajay Davis was pretty similar in comparison to like your Kevin Pilar Albert Almora signing you were like okay like what does this guy even have to offer who knows and then he comes out and does that in his in his first game as a Met and then the next day was Carlos Gomez making his triumphant return. Um, He was already kind of in the lineup at that point, but he was definitely struggling. Um, He had just like a crazy day. He hit a, um, he hit a double and a home run. Uh, The go ahead three run home run in that game kind of sealed the fate of the, of the nationals. Again, he lost his shoe running from second to third um, and was just, you know, the great big ball of energy that, um, that Carlos Gomez came to be known for during that, uh, during any time in his career. I mean, it seemed like he really turned back the clock uh, on that day back to like, I think it was 2007, right. When he made his Mets debut and was, uh, and was just like a rambunctious kid. Uh, There was the whole thing with like Dom Smith and how they were like great friends. Um, And that's, that's a fun topic to get into as well, but kind of wrapping up, this sort of national series and then going into the next night, uh, a Danny Hechevarria who the Mets famously cut because they almost had to pay him. <laughs> uh, he was a fun player to watch and he hit a, um, a, a huge three run home run. The Mets actually ended up losing the game, but it was a, it was a really close one uh, that they lost by a single run. And um and I mean, there was that bench mob sort of mentality of these like bits and pieces uh, that they were just kind of like mishmashing together. That was very much uh, the Mets blueprint at that time, um, you know, buying those spare parts, kind of being that last dog at the bowl in free agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it was it was Wilpon baseball, uh, but it was Wilpon baseball at its finest because the Mets were actually winning. Yeah, I mean before we started talking about it, I was like, you know, I, I didn't really 
understand, or I didn't really think about the parallels between the 2019 and 2021 Mets. The 2019 Mets were pretty good. I mean, they, yeah. they were, like, they finished the year 86 and 76. They had that, like, it was such a weird season because, you know, the, the manager at the time, who we won't name, um, <sighs> at one point in the season was when asked about if, if he saw the team having a turnaround. It was earlier in the year and they were really struggling. And uh, they were under 500 or whatever. And he was asked, do you foresee this team making a uh, turnaround? And he goes, it'll take a miracle. And then they end up finishing the season only a few games out of a playoff spot. The 2019 match were really fun. I mean, one of my favorite games. Yeah. One of my favorite games I've ever been to was against the nationals in August uh, of 2019 and Marcus Stroman was pitching his first home game as a Met. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was the game where Todd Frazier hit that that mammoth yeah. home run ninth inning. And then Michael Conforto walked it off. I was with a couple of my buddies. And it was just like electric being there. It had playoff atmosphere to begin with. And that was just like one of the most fun games I've ever been to. Um, and I was also at the last game of the season that year with my dad. Um, and Dom Smith hit that walk-off home run in the ninth inning. Awesome. Um, yeah, it was just like such a great year. And you look you look back at this team, and I mean it's legend central in some respects, but there were so many guys I really liked. Like, yeah, you know, maybe for no reason at all, but I loved Joe Panic. I loved that pickup when they when I they love got that pickup too. Season. Yeah. Um a Danny Hechevaria, uh Aaron Altair was on that team for a bit. <laughs> um Rajay Davis, Carlos Gomez, like you talked about. Uh, and then even you look at some of these pitchers, and I, <laughs> I just forgot about some of these guys. You have Wilmer Hector Fong. Santiago. Yeah. Yeah, Wilbur <laughs> Fong was on that team. Hector Santiago, Brody Van Wagen in one of his famous uh, quotes where he said, I will be the one along with the rest of this front office who will continue to make upgrades to the team, just like we did today when we purchased the contract of Hector Santiago from AAA. Mm. Uh, just like could not believe that was real when that was happening. <laughs> then Drew Gagno, someone Drew Gagno. will strike a, a chill into Mets fans. Um, Donnie Hart, another guy that I'm sure yeah. many people forgot about. But, you know, they were a really likable bunch, the 2019 Mets. And it was kind of disheartening last year, 2020. I mean, the season was kind of a wash to begin with, but um, they had – you know, come off a year where there was some hope that they were going to be good in 2020. And it was just, you know, the the year was so weird, but a lot of those guys are still in this nucleus of this team. And and it was just like, it was the same thing. You had guys like Luis Guillorme who hit that home run uh, against Mm -hmm. the Washington nationals, uh, that same series with the Todd Frazier home run. He hit that home run. Um, And so, yeah, it's like, you know, it's, it's, I think it's very Mets-like to have these 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 unlikely heroes step up. Um, and I think they've been doing it for such a long time. I mean, Wilmer Flores is yeah. kind of that quintessential guy in 2015 uh, who, really stro- who really endeared himself to Mets fans, kind of like Kevin Pillar did, maybe Pillar to a lesser extent. But Flores is a guy on the brink of being traded and then is such mm-hmm. a huge integral piece to that 2015 team. He's kind of the poster boy for that team. But I don't think um, – I don't think anybody can even get close to that Wilmer Flores level of no. 
of like legendhood just because of just because of like what happened and how it happened and the circumstances of it all I think tells like a more compelling story but at the same time you're absolutely right I think I like I think from here on out people will talk you know speak very fondly of Kevin Pillar no matter what happens from here on out like Kevin Pillar is a Mets legend book it yes signed sealed delivered forever yeah and you know I Flores is such like a rare case right because it's like he's a guy that Mets fans are going to be talking about forever probably I mean I'm gonna tell my grandkids about that like (laughs) yeah exactly and and for good reason I mean he's a homegrown guy he loved the Mets probably for no good reason. I mean, I mean, you know, <laughs> the Wilpons were in charge that whole time. I mean, they, you know, they, they let the guy chill on the field while he's, you know, about to be traded to Milwaukee. Yeah. But the guy loved the Mets. Mets fans loved him. Um, and also like the stakes were a little bit different back then too. Like, like we're still really early on in the season. That's true. Pilar getting hit. It's a different circumstance, but um, you know, for a moment, since we're on the topic of Polar's injury, this team really, not player-wise, but injury-wise, certainly reminds me a lot of the 2009 Mets. Because mm-hmm. that team was another team that was completely decimated by injuries. Um, and it was a little bit of a different circumstance. I think back then, the optimism wasn't there. Like, they were coming off two seasons. They were coming off... In 2006, the NLCS lost to the Cardinals. The mm-hmm. 2007 monumental collapse, you know, being seven ahead with 17 to play and losing. Yeah. In the playoffs altogether. And then 2008 having a, a, another pretty bad collapse as well. So 2009, I mean, there was like, – every Mets season begins with some level of hope. Even in, like, 2012 when the Mets were so gosh darn bad. Yeah. You have this hope, right? Like, but – 2009, like, they did have a decent nucleus of players to start off the season. You did, you did have those guys from the 2006, 2007 teams. You did have a lot of talent. Um, you're, you, you have a brand spanking new ballpark in City Field. Um, so, like, there was this, this optimism, um, but it just didn't really feel the same. Like, when those injuries happened, it was just like the Mets are toast. And they were. I mean, they yeah. finished that year 70 and 92. Like, one of the best moments I remember from that season was being at a game where Nelson Figueroa pitched a complete game shutout against the Astros on the last day of the season. Like, Happy, bir- you know, happy belated birthday, by the way. Happy belated birthday to, to Mets legend Nelson Figueroa, a New York native. Um right. But that team was like it was it was a different kind of thing. Like I think for the Mets, it's like they they have a brand new owner. They have this timeline of of players where like in the next five years they're really trying to win a World Series. In two thousand nine, they were kind of on the back end of that. They were like about to like about to blow the team up in the next year or two. Um, and you look at just some of these guys like that they that they had playing were just like they weren't even like exciting to watch. Like you had Jeremy Reed. You had Corey Sullivan, you had uh, let's see, Emil Brown, Wilson Valdez, Andy Green, Angel mm-hmm. Barroa. It was like these guys. Angel who I think played like a total of like five games for the Mets that year. 
I don't know. It's just like, it's a brutal team to look at, you know, John Switzer, Toby Stoner, Fernando. So, so when you look at like, you pull up the, I'm looking at the baseball reference page and you look at the, just the names of the players that are, that, you know, played the most games in each position. I mean, I know like Jose Reyes had a pretty serious injury that year, so he didn't really play much, but I mean, you had Daniel Murphy and obviously this is pre legend Daniel Murphy. Yeah. But you had Daniel Murphy, Luis Castillo, who had a solid career, David Wright, Gary Sheffield, Carlos Beltran, and Jeff Francoeur, who was still hyped at that age of 25. Um, he was only 25 in 2009? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, this dude was out here being my age when they got him. <laughs> yeah, That's exactly. so weird. That's so weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and like, you look at that, you look at those eight guys and you say, how did they, how did, how did it end up like this? How could this happen? And I mean, it was a combination of injuries and just plain old messiness that just like absolutely derailed it all. I mean, obviously Gary Sheffield was 40 at this point. Like what's he actually going to give you? But I mean, he still had a decent season. He went, he hit 276. Like that's not bad for an age 40 player. I mean, I, I, like I was, was I really liked this team. Um, I guess like we were really, we were young men. We were wide-eyed. We weren't super jaded in our Mets fandom yet. Um, I think fair. that this like, I think it like began the jadedness because like they were coming off those collapses. They, they sucked in 2009. And then like the whole, like, like, like Bernie Madoff scandal, like was right. like over the team at this point too. Like it was, this was kind of just like a bad like omen to come of like what we were going to endure for the next like five years. Um, but I mean, somehow, like, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about the Wilpons, but it's like somehow, like they always, they like were so undeserving, but like they would always have like these like really like, they would somehow like, 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 back their way into like smart moves occasionally like (laughs) i don't know like like hiring sandy alderson after Mm -hmm. omar minaya like they probably did it for the wrong reasons um but like because they were really just trying to like save money and be stingy but like alderson like was like such a good like a like made like such an excellent blueprint for the mets like and had he never had a step down because of cancer where they were kind of forcing him out anyway right like Brody Van Wagenen, like I could go, I could just like go on a tangent, but it's like the Mets would have one of the best farm systems in baseball still. Um, mm-hmm. Kellenic, you know, Kellenic would be playing with the Mets right now. I'm not going to get into this. I'm sorry. But it's like, okay. <laughs> uh, but you just look at Alderson and like he was tabbed after 2010. So prior to the 2011 season. Mm-hmm. So for a 10 year span, he would have just had like this pipeline, just like pumping out players and pumping out players, you know, like, yeah. so hopefully with him back now, he'll be able to do that again. Well, I hope he gets that chance too. I mean, to, to build that system. And I think he will, I mean, he's always drafted well, like every front office he's been a part of has drafted well. So like, that's, I mean, that's a great omen for the future. Um, but I also think, I mean, you even look at some of the vestiges of the Will era today me and my brother always joke that the Mets accidentally hired a great manager in Luis Rojas <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because of that situation. Like he was kind of the, the number two choice behind Beltran 
And then that stuff comes out about Beltran. They're like, okay, you know, here you go, Luis Rojas, here are the keys. Um, and even he still, was someone, he's kind of on the hot seat. Yeah, I don't, like, I don't know. Like, I don't really know what Mets fans want from the guy. Like, yeah. It, they, they fired Chili Davis, who I think was more of an issue, um, mm-hmm. like, more so than Rojas. And, like, it's kind of hard to tell. Like, it's kind of inconclusive at this point. Like, A, because their new hitting coach, Hugh Quattlebaum, is so new. And also, like, a majority of the Mets' offense is hurt right now. So it's kind of inconclusive. Right. Like, like we're not going to know right away what his effect on the team is going to be. But Rojas, like, I don't know, the Mets are atop the division – they've won nine of their last 12 games and they're playing with, with like a completely replaced Mets squad, essentially. Right. Um, you know, their bullpen's healthy, um, but they're starting pitching. You're missing DeGrom. You don't know what's going to happen with Taiwan Walker, um, Syndergaard and Carrasco. That's four huge guys. Yeah. I mean, essentially the rotation right now, if Walker's going to miss another start is Stroman and Peterson and like, that's it. Um, so like Rojas, I mean, any, like he's doing as good of a job as anybody could be doing with this team right now. Um, 100%. so, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see why people are so hard on him. I think it's just like the manager, uh, is always the scapegoat. Um, no matter oh, what. Yeah. I mean, people didn't like Terry Collins, but yeah. I've always loved Terry Collins. I always thought Terry was a great manager. Like, as long as the players love a manager and the manager stands up for the players, you know, there are very few things or decisions that a manager can make that, that aren't defensible to me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. even in-game decisions, we don't know what's going on in the clubhouse. We don't know if, you know, he chose one pitcher over another because of something that happened to him that day. Like, these people are human. So, like, I don't know. I, I, I kind of tend to err on the side of the managers doing their best, like making the best decisions they can make given the hand that they're dealt. Also, Terry Collins is a guy who I think that Mets fans look back now and can appreciate and can, Mm -hmm. and and can, and can really see how good of a manager he was. I mean, when, when we were in it, I wasn't the biggest Terry guy, um, but he was he was a good manager man I, I you know like i'm yeah. not gonna you can't take that away from the guy he was a really good manager and he's someone who i really respect because he learned like he's yeah. like the complete opposite of like tony larusa who's just like a complete like i'm gonna yeah. have to flag this as, i'm gonna have to flag this as explicit but i'm gonna just say it like tony larusa is a shithead like he's just like yeah. such a shithead and like the White Sox have such a likable group of players. They have such great talent on that team. Mm-hmm. Your mean Mercedes is, you know, rule five pick that's just crushing the ball right now. Tim Anderson is one of like my favorite players in baseball. Yeah. Um, you know, Luis Robert and Eloy Jimenez are down and they're still atop the division. One of the best teams in the American league. And Tony LaRusso. Maybe the best team is, in baseball. Yeah, and they're and they're gonna be for years. They have an mm-hmm. amazing core of players. Lucas Giolito is an amazing starter. Carlos Rodon on his his uh, comeback tour is pitching amazing. He's finally yeah. like seems like he's got it all figured out uh, on the mound at this point after kind of being a failed prospect. Uh, I, I shouldn't say a failed prospect, but like someone who just hasn't really lived up to that first round um, 
uh, whatever, you know, his first being a first round pick. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tony LaRusse is out here talking about how he's okay with the uh, opposing team throwing at yeah. his play. Yeah. Uh, come on, dude. Like, I like never there's liked, no room to be that. I, yeah, I didn't like Tony LaRusse when he, when he was with the Cardinals. I thought the Cardinals were not only, you know, National League rivals, but incredibly boring despite some of the people that they had on that team that they could have really like elevated, I think. Um, and I don't know. I think, I think I completely agree. He's a total shithead and like <laughs> boomer to the max. Like <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't get any more boomer than Tony La Russa being back in baseball at like 75 years old or however old he is. Yeah. 76. And uh, it's just like, it was such a perplexing signing to, for a team like the White Sox that are an up-and-coming team with a lot of young players. uh, And they're kind of on the forefront of like what, you know, they're kind of at the forefront of, of this, this team that, that has this potential to be, you know, one of the best teams in baseball for years to come. Like they're, it's kind of a glimpse into the future looking at this team. And it was like their owner, like kind of just overstepped and hired La Russa. It wasn't even mm-hmm. their GM's decision, I believe. It was just the owner because he's cronies with Tony La Russa. I don't know. I can't see this guy holding his job for the whole season. I mean, even if yeah. they're winning, like the negative backlash is already so bad. And 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 he just keeps doubling down on it and like digging himself a deeper hole. Um, yeah, I mean, really, I think it kind of started with the whole um, – what Liam Hendricks like ran the bases in extra innings when he didn't need to. And then, you know, there's this whole situation with your being Mercedes and you have even Tim Anderson, um, you know, sounding off on social media being like, hell yeah, man, like get yours. Yeah. <laughs> Good for Tim Anderson though. Cause like Tim Anderson, like off the bat, like, that was going to like, that was the issue. It was like, mm-hmm. he, he was very vocal, but like he was the one that was like, kind of at the forefront of like pushing back against like the Tony La Russa hire. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I can't see like that team is like, is he's going to lose that locker room so quickly if he hasn't already. And I'm sure he probably I, already has. Yeah. I bet he already has. Like, I think it's already like beyond repair. Like it's an irreparable thing. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, the, the one, the, the last thing that like, I guess the last card in Tony LaRusso's hand would be to start benching these guys, like bench Mercedes and bench Tim Anderson and just kind of see how that goes, especially with ownership. Like, I don't think they would stand for that. I don't mm-hmm. think it would go well for LaRusso, but if he's going to keep doubling down, like that's kind of where this is heading, I think. Good. Let him, you know, honestly, let <laughs> yeah. him bench those guys, get him out, you know, get, yeah. get a manager, like, they've got to have someone in their system that, that could come up and, and can manage and can, can, can better relate to these guys and, and can be a more forward thinking manager. Um, the, the old guard, like that, that Tony La Russa type manager, like there's just really no place for it in baseball anymore. Like yeah. I know Dusty Baker has been around for a long time, but even he is like adapted better to the game yes. than Tony La Russa has. And, and kind um, of bringing it back to Terry Collins. I mean, I think Terry learned a lot of hard lessons, uh, especially when, you know, surrounding, I mean, wasn't, you know, he, he kept Johan Santana in the game. Like <laughs> he, he would let pitchers go maybe deeper than they should. Um, but then he learned and he, he owned it too. And that was, that was the biggest thing too. He would own it in front of the media. And honestly, like there were, 
during a time where the Mets were so frustrating and so stress inducing, it was always a great release whenever Terry Collins would like step up to the mic and just start yelling at people. Like I just, yeah. I loved it. <laughs> well, he was someone that was like, he wasn't going to hold any punches, right? Like he, yeah. and, and what, what was so great about Terry Collins was that he fought for his guys till the end. Mm-hmm. You could tell that he had this passion and this love for baseball. He lived and died with his team, but he still was able to, to keep it together to be that kind of leader. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, he would be critical of his team. He would, he would, yeah. he would, he, what he wasn't going to like, he wasn't going to sugarcoat things. Um, and, you know, I know Mike Francesa has that famous rant where he's kind of digging into Terry Collins and talking about how the Mets have become, you know, accepting of this garbage after they, they lost like a really tough game to the Colorado Rockies. But I think that was kind of off base. And I think that like, if you look at like the whole, like you see the whole trajectory of his career, Collins had this really great comeback tour because he was someone when he, I think it was either when he managed the Astros or the angels in the nineties, mm-hmm. his, his clubhouse like rallied against him. Like they hated him and yeah. they like, they essentially forced him out. I think it was mm-hmm. when he was with the angels in 99. Um, they basically were like, we hate Terry Collins. We don't want him to manage the team anymore. And he lost that clubhouse. Um. <sighs> Yeah, so it was 99. The Angels were hampered by injuries, and Collins resigned with 29 games left in the season. Um, he apparently received a vote of confidence from the front office, but the players had pedi- pedi- uh, petitioned uh, GM Bill Bavese to fire him. Wow. Uh, yeah, they hated him. And so Collins went – so he didn't manage again until 2007, 2008 in Nippon professional baseball with the Oryx Buffaloes. Um, and then he was able to, to, to become the Mets manager again, to become a baseball manager again uh, in 2011. So I think that Collins, he really had some tough lessons to learn himself too. And I think that he was really introspective and he really adapted and he really changed the way that he was. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. I love Terry, man. Um, before yeah, we wrap up, we could talk about Terry certainly I'd love to talk about, about him again on another episode, but I really, before we end, I really want to talk a little bit about something I've been meaning to talk about. It's not really related to anything we've been talking about today, but I just, it's been on my mind a lot and I, I really just want to talk about it a little bit. And uh, just cause it, I was kind of young when it happened. I know you were too. We talked a little mm-hmm. bit about it before the podcast, you said you didn't really remember this too much, but the whole Chris and Anna Benson fiasco uh, of uh, I guess I was like 15, 16 years ago, but uh, the Mets weren't great when they got Chris Benson. Um, they got him, I think in 2004 um, from the Pittsburgh pirates. I think I could be wrong, but I think that they traded Jose Bautista for Chris Benson. in they 2004. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and Jose Bautista wasn't any, any, special player at that point you know he, he it, it wouldn't be several years before he figured it out but uh they got chris benson in 04 and anna benson was someone who who i think kind of maybe made more headlines than her husband so anna benson has a really strange life uh to put it lightly i don't know like she's just very like weird scary person so in 1996 Anna Benson was 18 I'm sorry she wasn't 18 
she was charged with the murder of an 18 year old uh, who was executed in her apartment. Her apartment was covered in satanic anti-police graffiti, but her boyfriend and her had already fled the scene. So this was two years before she met Chris. So in 1998, she's working as a stripper uh, in Nashville and she was, it was Mardi Gras uh, and uh, they were at a strip club in it. Uh, sorry, it was in Atlanta. He was playing for the Nashville Sounds at the time. Uh, they apparently went to rival high schools. They meet again at the strip club. They start dating. Um, and so they, they start dating. They get married in 99. Uh, she, she basically stays with him until 2012. So they're married for 13 years. Um, uh, in 2006, though, she actually filed for a divorce um, saying that the marriage was irretrievably broken, but then she later withdrew it. Um, <laughs> what? In 2009, she, she threatened Chris Benson with a gun. Um, she served him divorce papers in 2012, and then in 2013, she invaded his home with a gun. He, like, fled out the back door. Um, and then, like, I think the most notable thing with Anna Benson was in 2004... Uh, or 2005, when Chris was the the the, the Santa Claus for the um, for the 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 team holiday party, and she showed mm -hmm. up as Mrs. Claus, and like it's kind of just like a famous picture. Um, but I don't know, she just it's, it's just like I can't imagine like a player like on the Mets now. Like, can you imagine that happening now? Like on <laughs> Twitter, how big of a thing that would be? Or it would like, be massive. Yeah, she literally like like threatened to kill this guy. She held a gun. <laughs> she held a gun to him like yeah. on multiple occasions like it's just nuts man like well, i can't that's, that's not even the only like story of um of you know spouses like that i mean certainly to a lesser degree in uh in like daryl strawberry's case i know that there have been there were like stories about how um his spouse was like a little i don't know i i only read it in that uh in that so many ways to lose book, but there was a section that talked about how Daryl Strawberry's wife would be just very demeaning to him and very much like that would be probably described as abusive today. But, you know, in the eighties was probably like, Oh, Hey Daryl, you know, get your <laughs> wife in order, like kind of thing. <laughs> like, uh, so, I mean, I, you really, it really makes you wonder like what was actually going on behind the scenes. Um, and, yeah, I definitely couldn't imagine something like that happening today. Um, and if it did, it would be obviously front front page of Twitter news. Um, yeah, I mean, and I, I really do think you know maybe that would be the thing that would lead Mets Twitter to actually like implode upon itself to yeah. actually like <laughs> be gone for good. <laughs> yeah, like that would just be the end, like the be all end all. It's like where do we where do we really go from here? Um, yeah. So just before we conclude talking about Anna Benson, because there's, I mean, there's so much to talk about, but like, I just think it's just like outrageous. It was just like a little tidbit I wanted to like talk about, like at the end of the, the story, uh, at the end of our podcast. So she was named baseball's hottest wife uh, in 2004. And then in an interview with Howard Stern later that year, she said that if Chris Benson ever cheated on her, she would take revenge by sleeping with the entire Mets organization. Jeez. And 
she later like backtracked and was like it was just a joke like this and that but it's like clearly not a joke i mean you like you literally like have killed people um yeah i wouldn't wouldn't put anything past her that's for sure but yeah it's like i'm very thankful now it's like you have like players like madison yamamoto who just like are really supportive of like her husband like she posts Mm -hmm. pictures of like their dog together like it's it's much more wholesome it seems than 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 this um (laughs) but it's kind of like a microcosm of like the mets 2004 2005 seasons because they weren't very good back then and like just ridiculous but very Um, explosive yes for sure and they're kind of on the on the precipice of, of breaking out in 2006 so yeah but uh yeah man uh great episode as always um Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we can we can be found at Mets Legends on Twitter, also at Mets Legends Cast. Uh, if you want to hear anything in the future, us talk about, uh, certainly drop a, drop us a line on Twitter. Um, from Rob Pierce, I'm Michael Jennings. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time.